that Brother David Peters is here today, and I think, I haven't greeted your family yet, but they're somewhere. There, all right. I'm like, I haven't seen them, but I don't know where they're sitting, but all right. I should have known over there by Caesar Michelle and Lori and Sister Waller. So, um, but yeah, we're, we're grateful for them. These are the youth pastors of the Apostolic Promise Church in Cape Girardeau, and not just the youth pastors, but today we're blessed. We have two youth pastors of the year in Missouri District in this place today. Our youth pastor got Missouri District Youth Pastor of the Year as a veteran a couple years ago. We won't say how long ago. It's been a couple years. But then they received that prestigious award this past year, which to me, uh, it's not about accolades and awards, but the district does not recognize someone with this award if they're not fulfilling their calling. And they have an incredible youth group a growing youth group. He's well-respected. They are well-respected. Their family is well-respected. And I know that uh, when we announced that you were coming, he has a ton of fan favorites because many of his family attends church here. And so I know that you don't have to say, will you get with me today in preaching? They are going to absolutely do it because they're your family. And if they don't, don't get them a Christmas present. <laughs> but, uh, but we are thankful that to have just a great couple, a great man of God to take this pulpit today because he is out there, hands in the dirt, doing the work of the Lord in for the kingdom. And so would you just, would you mind just standing with me to honor the man of God as he comes to this pulpit today? Oh, come on. Can we give God a praise here this morning? here today. Why don't we give God a worship? Can you give him a thunderous worship here? I know we're at a transition. Amen. But is he Alpha and Omega? Is he Lord of Lords? Is he King of Kings? Has he been Jehovah Jireh, Jehovah Nisi, Jehovah Shalom, Jehovah Sidkenu? Do you know him? Amen. As Emmanuel, the man Christ Jesus. Amen. I am incredibly honored to be here with you this morning. Sorry, this afternoon. I'm just going to keep saying this morning, probably. Our church does morning service first, so forgive me. But I'm incredibly honored to be with you here. Thank you to your pastor for those incredibly kind words. I wish it was just my hands that were in the dirt. My whole body at times, it feels like. Brother Condren can attest to that. Sometimes we're just rolling around in the dirt. So I'll take just the hands here today. Amen. I give honor to to your leadership, your pastor. Thank you for trusting me with this. This honor, I give honor to your youth pastor. Amen. It was good to see Brother Foster and my friend, Brother Cole. I think I went to his like six-year-old birthday party way back in the day. That's how, that's how far back we go. We got to play Sega Genesis at his house. Some of you that don't know, there's like a disc and you put it in this thing and yeah, you turn on a TV. And... Anyway, got to play Sega Genesis. We've been friends. I have a lot of friends in this church, family in this church, and I give you honor. Thank you for being here to support. Thank you to my family for traveling. My, my intros aren't really long. Bear with me here. I, I don't do 20-minute intros, but I got a lot of people I'd like to honor. My family for traveling with me, my wife, and my, my little girl, Avonlea. She might have already ran to nursery. She loves just going, going, going. Thank you. And we locked her in a car for six hours, so... Uh, she does not want to sit in a seat right now, so 
she's probably gone somewhere. You may have given her to my wife. Um, incredible strength that she's shown. This has been kind of a rough year uh, for us, but I, I give honor to her for the strength that she's shown, uh, her power, her, her might in the Lord, uh, and her meekness in the Lord. I give honor to them for traveling with me. I'm going to go to Genesis chapter 30, verse number 1, and then I'm going to skip quickly to 22 through 24. Amen. As you turn here, I do believe we find ourselves on holy ground here today. This is holy ground for me. Uh, it was on a peacock-colored pew chair, and they did used to do that in the 2000s, 90s, and 2000s, and we used to have peacock-colored carpet in here. Many of you know what I'm talking about. You can thank Sister Wallard for picking that. <laughs> I remember being in her office, and she was like, we'll do that one. I was like, are you sure? But she did, and I got the Holy Ghost sitting right over here on a peacock-colored pew, right through those doors, baptized in Jesus' name. And I know a lot of you in here, this is holy ground for you as well. Amen. A lot of you have been baptized in Jesus' name in this church and received the Holy Ghost. And I believe in God for more, for greater things. Believe in God can touch you today if you need it. Amen. Genesis chapter 30, verse number 1. And when Rachel saw that she bare Jacob no children, Rachel envied her sister and said unto Jacob, Give me children, or else I die. Quickly skipping, and we'll go back after, but quickly skipping to verse 22. And God remembered Rachel, and God hearkened to her, and opened her womb, and she conceived and bare a son, and said, God hath taken away my reproach. And she called his name Joseph, and said, The Lord shall add to me another son. And why don't we put our Bibles down and pray here this morning. God, we thank you for everything that you're doing here. We thank you for your presence that we've already felt. Those that ushered in the presence of the Lord in a time of praise and worship. God, we've already felt you. But we ask that you'd open our hearts and our minds to receive what you want us to receive. Open our heart, our spirit, God, to hear from the voice of the Lord. God, to instruct our heart and attune our ear. God, so that we can be the vessel you've called us to be, God. So that we can be the prayer warrior you've called us to be. So that we can reach this community with the gospel and the light of Jesus Christ. I pray, Lord, that you touch this voice. In the name of Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen, amen. You may be seated. Amen. Many of us know about Rachel's life. It's the 30th day of the year, and most people at the beginning have made it that far in their Bible reading plan. That's a joke. So, we have read this story many times. We've made it to January 30th and read this story many times. We know about Rachel's life. Um, but for those of you who may not be as familiar, it, was, uh, it, it wasn't necessarily the greatest of times, if you will. Rachel uh, has eyes for this young man, Jacob, who kind of sneaks into her family farm and spots her a ways off and goes to her father and says, I'd like for her hand in marriage, and he says, I need you to work for me for seven years. Now, it's incredibly romantic. Jacob says, I will work, Rachel, for you for seven years. Incredibly romantic. Ladies, if a guy's willing to do that, that is a really good sign. If he works at all, that's a great sign. You're, you're well on your way. I'm not pastor. I'm sorry. I'm not pastor. You're well on your way if he works at all. 
But he was willing to work for seven years for the love of his life. And then we get to the point where it's all supposed to come together. The wedding happens and we realize that Jacob, who was the deceiver, has been deceived. And he's been given another to be his wife. And he goes back to ask his father-in-law, what have you done? What are you, what are you doing? You've, you've ruined everything. I worked for you. You changed the rules. This isn't fair. And he tells him, if you work seven more years, you can have the one that you love. And the man that's worked for seven years says, it's about a small thing. And he goes back to work and he works 14 years for the love of his life to be able to marry her. And finally, after Rachel has waited for 14 years, she enters into the marriage affair and she realizes after a short amount of time that she is barren and can give her husband no children. What a terrible plight, what a, what a terrible realization that she has waited this long and yet another hurdle stands before her. And it's in her voice and in her cry in Genesis chapter 30 that we see just how tormenting this is to me. Give me a child or let me die. The voice of a woman crying out and pleading with God and begging for God to open her womb. But we know that through her prayer and through her travail of prayer that God hears her and begins to give an ear to her situation, and he opens her womb. And continuing in Genesis chapter 35, verses 15 through 20, and they finally get to the point where it's time for them to set out on their own journey. And Jacob takes his family, and Rachel has been blessed with a child, and she immediately says, God is going to bless me with another child. And so they go on this journey to set out and, and make their own way in life. And Jacob called the name of the place where God spake with him, Bethel. And they journeyed from Bethel, and there was but a little way to come to Ephrath. And Rachel began to travail, and she had hard labor. And it came to pass, when she was in hard labor, that the midwife said unto her, Fear not, for you will have this son also. And it came to pass, as her soul was in departing, for she did die, that she called his name Benani, the son of my sorrow. But his father said no, and called his name Benjamin, the son of my right hand, the son of my power. And Rachel died and was buried in the way to Ephrath, which is Bethlehem. And Jacob set a pillar upon her grave, and that is the pillar of Rachel's grave unto this day. Now, some of you may have thought that I buried the lead here, and we talked about how God finally answered her prayer, and she was given a son, and yet she's pregnant again, and it's in childbearing with her second son that she finds herself in great travail, in great torment, and she doesn't make it out alive, but instead she does give birth to a son. She does in the travail, in this experience, in what she was going through. Often, the, imagine this on a pile of rocks giving birth to a child, but she makes it through and gives birth to another son. And he's called the son of my right hand, the son of my power. Rachel dies a mother, but it took travail. Rachel died giving birth to the promise died giving birth to something that she just knew. I prayed and I heard from God and he's going to answer my prayer. We might look at this as, God, how is this fair? How can this fall upon someone that was faithful, someone that was a matriarch of God? How can this fall upon, amen, Rachel here, to, here in this story? But if you were to ask Rachel, if you were to ask any mother here in this house, the only thing she'd be concerned with was that the travail worked. 
that the travail gave birth to the promise, that the travail gave birth to the child. It wasn't necessarily about the situation, the circumstances. I believe if we asked Rachel, I'm sorry that you went through all this, would you do it all over again? And she would say, absolutely. I would travail once again to give birth to the promise. And Rachel does not die empty-handed. We look at this story once again in our natural sense and, and, and thinking about maybe our own spouse or our own children, our own mother, those in our family, thinking this is just a terrible situation. But I do believe that if you were to ask the one that was barren, the one that waited 14 years for this situation to take place finally, and she's barren, but God opens her womb, that she would say it was all worth it because through the travail, I gave birth to something that was miraculous, something they said I'd never have, something they said I could never happen in my life. My womb was dried up. It could never happen in my life, but yet I have a miracle before me. This, is, this message is about the spiritual sense, but let me just stop here real quick in the physical and say, I have seen with my own hands God open up a womb, and God can still do it. Amen? God can still do it. God can open up the womb. God can provide a miraculous child. I've seen it time and time and time again. If you're here today, you're praying, you're crying out, God will answer your prayer. Keep praying. Keep travailing. God will hear your cry. And to another lie that the devil likes to peddle. You may not have give birth, given birth to your child. You may have adopted. You may be in foster care. You may be stepmom. Don't hear the lie of the devil here today that says you're not mom, that you're not a mother, that you're not important, and that you're not worthy. Amen. You are still just as much a mom. But here in the, in the spiritual sense for the church here this morning, today, I do believe, amen, that God desires for the church to be in a travail experience. A travail time, a time that it's not pretty, it's not comfortable. Some things have to die in the travail at times, and it's not comfortable, but God hath given strength, God hath given grace, God hath given authority and power to the church to travail, and through the travail, a child is born. The miraculous is born in the travail. Some of you might feel like you're just going through a lot, and it might not be fair, but I'm here to tell you, I believe this. If, if you travail in God, that God wants to use you to birth something. Three of the four matriarchs in the Bible were barren. Three, 75% of them were barren. Sarah and Abraham, it talks about all these situations. It talks about when their barrenness was turned. And for Sarah, when Abraham prayed, Sarah's barrenness was turned. Rebecca, in Genesis 25, when Isaac prayed for Rebecca, her barrenness turned. Hannah was the mother of Samuel. In 1 Samuel chapter 10, Hannah is travailing and praying on the steps of the church house and crying out so much that the priest comes out and thinks she must be drunk to be in such a situation, but she was just in travail and in prayer so that God would let her give birth to the promise. And for here today, once again, Rachel in Genesis chapter 30 was barren, shut up, her womb was shut up, but through her prayer, God remembers Rachel. God hears her prayer. In all of these stories, when prayer entered the equation, something began to take place in the supernatural. When prayer entered the equation, something, I don't know how God changes organs. I don't know how God touches miraculously. All I know is that when prayer was want to be made, God began to change some situations these people were going through. God began to give birth to the miraculous. God started to allow some things to take place and to move in their life. And so prayer was the difference maker. 
It's not a popular message. Prayer is the difference maker. Travailing in prayer is not a popular thing any longer. I mean, praying and travailing and crying until something changes, until something takes place. Rolling out of your bed at 3 o'clock in the morning and saying, God, I'm not going back to bed. I'm not going to work. I'm not going to the breakfast table until something changes. But whenever you're willing to travail in prayer, things begin to change. When you say, I'm not leaving this this prayer room. I'm not leaving this moment right now. I am here until something begins to break. And the travail causes the miraculous to be born. When desperation is the only thing that these ladies had, the desperation turned into travail. And the travail gave birth to the promise. It was the desperation. Nobody in here, if I asked hands, except for that one kid at youth camp that always raises their hand, nobody would say, I like the desperation. That's my favorite part of the whole thing, being desperate. Being at the point where, God, if you don't show up, it's just not going to happen. Nobody likes being at that place. But the desperation takes you to a moment where you're just willing to travail a little while longer. You're just willing to travail a little bit more than you did yesterday. And desperation leads you to travail. And it's in travail that the promise is born. In Isaiah chapter 66 and verse 8, the prophet talks about the travail experience. Who hath heard such a thing? Who hath seen such things? Shall the earth be made to bring forth in one day? Shall a nation be born at once? But as soon as Zion travailed, she brought forth her children. As soon as Zion travailed, she gave birth. The prophet, letting them know it's not all going to work out perfectly. It's not just going to happen. You don't just get to show up and God has set everything perfectly in order and you just get to go on and, and life is just a breeze and you get to continue to go on with your nice life. At some times, at some times, Zion, you've got to travail. And that it's in the travail process and only the travail process that things are born in the miraculous. I wish there was another way at times. I wish there were things that we could say and we could do, and and it was just a a procedure. It was just a a formula, an equation, and things happen. But sometimes God says, you're not going to have the blessing. You're not going to have the miraculous until the travail happens. That you're not going to have the child until the travail happens. As a husband and a father, I remember... Most fathers in here will remember that fateful moment when your wife looks at you and you get this dread all over you about it's time to go to the hospital. It is actually, this is the moment that you've prepared for and you've worried and prayed about for countless nights. And they finally tell you that we got to go to the hospital and you get freaked out and you forget where your keys are and everything goes wrong. And you wish that you could skip it. There are some ladies that love that part of the process Thank God for them. Men do not like that part of the process. Men don't like it. I'll just let, fill you in there. Men do not like that part of the process. But if I wanted to skip that process, I never would have been holding a baby girl. Never would have, amen, saw her uh, in that new experience and, and see her take her first breath and watch her open her eyes and smile for the first time. I would have missed out on the entire process. But I wanted to skip the travail. But without the travail, the child would, have, would not have been born. And God turns to his church. God tells the prophet to go tell the church that they're not going to give birth to anything until they travail. 
But when Zion, the promise is still firm. The promise is still in the word of God right here in this verse we read. That when they do travail, they will bring forth children. That when they do decide, hey, I'm going to fight for this. Hey, I'm going to pray for this. I'm going to do everything I can. And I'm going to travail. Children are born. So when Zion, when you, the church, begins to pray and begins to travail, babies are born in the supernatural. Zion, we know, is the picture of the church. And God hath called us to give birth to the promise. Pastor could come up and correct me if this is wrong and if what I say is bad. And he can come up and say that I should never come back again, all of this stuff. And I give him the ability to do that, obviously. But there are some things that God cannot do without us. There are some things that God cannot give birth to if the church will not travail. There are some things that God is desiring to do in this community, desiring to do in your church. There are buildings he's desiring for someone else to buy and give you a miracle blessing for. But that person might not have been born yet into the church. There are some things, and we can hinder and hamper the hand of God. We're crying out and saying, God, would you give birth? God, would you give the promise? God, would you pour it out? And God is looking at the church saying, you're the one meant to birth the children. You're the one meant to go, Zion, and travail and give birth to the promise. I love the stories when God blesses and God does miraculous things, but he always uses the hand of someone next to you. He always uses the hand of those that are next to you, a young man, a young lady, pastor, somebody that's singing or playing a special. He always uses the hand of his, of his saints to perform the work of God. And we can't sit around as the church, I wonder when God's going to travail and finally give birth to the promise he's been saying we can have. But God has called the church to travail. God has called the church to be in the birthing process. God has called the church to go to an altar and pray and say, I'm not leaving until something happens. I'm not leaving until my situation changes. Nothing is ever born without travail. And travail is hard work. Prayer can be hard work. Amen? I've been in, in times where... We've been in long-form prayer meetings and felt really rejuvenated and ready to go and just pray every day. And yet I step into the, the, the prayer room and I'm like, man, this is hard. This is just, it, it's a habit that you can build, but it always seems like a habit you can lose really quickly. Prayer can be hard work, but it's in prayer, travail of prayer, that the miraculous is born. And travail is hard work. Travail is for a spiritually mature church. Travail is for those that are just looking for a little bit more in God. Travail is for those that are looking to replicate themselves in their community. Travail is for the youth group that's looking to grow by leaps and bounds and by multiplication. It's in the travail process that things begin to change and blow our minds. God, how are you doing this? And God's saying, you finally stepped into a travail in the spirit. You finally stepped into the place where the miraculous is born. Amen. If we will be faithful in praying... I do believe that God is faithful in working. But it's faithful in praying. It's being willing. It might not be easy at times. Like I said, being woken up at 3 a.m. Whoever's been woken up in the middle of the night, some in this house have been. God, I want to go back to bed. I'm calling you. I'm calling you to the prayer room. I'm calling you to pray for someone. I'm calling to pray for your community. Whatever it is that God's called you to pray for. And it's God seeing, are you faithful to go into this experience? And God is faithful in working. When we look at this story about Rachel, and she was faithful in travail, 
Amen. She gave birth and everything was okay. But when everything wasn't okay, she was still faithful to travail and gave birth to the promise. But in this story, we talk, we were talking about Jacob's most beloved wife, Rachel. And whenever it talks about her burial experience, he goes off to the side of the road and he digs a hole and he puts her in it and he builds a pillar upon her grave. And why this is interesting, why this is different, Abraham buys the cave of Mamre and buries his beloved wife in this cave. And when Abraham would pass away, he too would be buried by his wife. Isaac was buried there, and Rebekah was buried there. Jacob was buried there. But we get to Rachel, his beloved wife, and she's buried on the road, on the journey where God is calling them to go. She's buried, it, it seems like in this story we read about it, and he buries his beloved wife in the wilderness. Where How are they going to know where she was? How are they going to know where they buried her? And he builds a pillar and a memorial for all, everyone that would walk by and know that this is a grave marker. Why did Jacob bury his beloved wife on the road instead of taking her back to the family sepulcher and burying her with his forefathers? In the Jewish legend, the Jewish tradition, they would teach and they mention, and this would be passed down from grandfather to grandson over and over and over throughout countless centuries. They passed down the story of why Rachel was buried on the way. Jacob, in this experience, in this intense time of, of bitterness and weeping and crying over his beloved wife, buries her on the road so that every lost child of Israel would have to take, when they took this road, would have to walk past her pillar. He buried her there on the road so that she could beseech mercy from God and, and cry out for those, her lost children that are wandering on the way. So that Rachel's cry of give me a child could continue to reach just one more person that as they're wandering through the wilderness might walk past this, this pillar and hear the voice of Rachel crying out, give me a child, give me another child, and they can go on this road and find, amen, find Jerusalem, find the, the house of God, find the people of God. So that her cry could continue to reach one more person, one more lost child, one more lost soul, one more person that has yet to walk into the fold in the arms of God, and her cry could continue to reach just one more. That when they're wandering through the wilderness, they might look at the pillar and say, I'm almost home. Therefore, it is said in Jeremiah chapter 31, verse 15, Thus saith the Lord, a voice was heard in Ramah, lamentation, a bitter weeping, Rachel, weeping for her children, refused to be comforted for her children because they were not. In other words, they teach this, the, Jew, the Jewish tradition. As you're walking along this road, as you're walking along this wilderness experience, you're wandering and you're lost. That they begin to hear a cry on the wind. They begin to hear this, this cry, this travail, give me a child. They begin to hear this cry and this travail. And it says that they, the voice that you hear in Rama is Rachel to this day crying out so that she could continue to lead the lost children of Israel back home. Amen. I want to ask my grandma to come up here. She's going to help me out if she doesn't mind. We're going to do this a little different. So... I'm going to be the old one. You're going to be the young one. Okay. That at, that's a sweet. She said, that's so sweet. Yeah. That as they're going on this wilderness experience, and they've been traveling for 
Days and days and days, they're walking through dirt. Understand, they're walking through dirt. I don't know how to find my way through dirt. They're walking through dirt. They don't have GPS. They're walking. And they feel like they're lost. They, they, there are children of the house of Israel that are wandering. Maybe they've been exiled. Maybe their band has been, their, their family's been destroyed by bandits and they've been ruined in a, in a battle and they're just trying to find their way back home. That it literally says that they're going to walk past a pillar that was erected, that was established, a pillar that was established by Jacob and they're going to know I'm almost home. I've been wandering. I've been lost. I'm almost home. And they're going to tell their grandchild, hey, do you hear that? That's the voice of Rachel crying out, we're almost home. We might have been lost. We might have walked away. We might have stepped away for a while. We might have walked away from the church house, but we're almost home. We're almost home, and they're going to cry out and say, I hear the voice. I know that God has almost called us back home. They've walked out of the church house. They've walked out of the people of God. God has not been their master anymore. But as they walk on this wilderness experience, as they begin to wander, they hear the voice of one that built a pillar and said, I'm going to build. I'm going to travail. I'm going to cry out for my children so they may be found. There are those in your family that have walked away. They've stepped out. Maybe they've stepped away for a time. But if you built a pillar, that's all that God's called you to do. There are people in my family that have walked away. There are, there are grandkids that have walked away. But I know my family's built a pillar. And that at one time, at some moment, they're going to be wandering. I want to hear the voice of God again. I want to hear the presence of God. I want to feel it in my life again. And they walk past a pillar that was erected, that was established. And they know where to go. They know where God's calling them to go. Now they already stacked this up for me. I appreciate it. But there are times, like Jacob, he builds a pillar. He erects a pillar. And it stands forever. It says it's erected to this day. And it is. It stands forever. And something like that, you don't just appreciate it. You walk away. That's never going to stand forever. But it takes time. It takes intentionality. It's not fun. It's not fun to go out in the desert and you put one rock on top of another. And on top of that, you're putting it on top of your, your wife that is just tied in childbirth. And you're leading and you're going through a bitterness experience. But no matter how long it takes, I'm building a pillar so that one person might walk by and be found again. No matter how long it takes, I'm going to pray. I'm going to travail. I'm going to build a pillar. I'm going to erect something in my spirit so that some person that's lost, that's wandering, can come and be found again. Jacob may have never known what he was doing that day, but he built a pillar. He took intentionality and he built it up upon his wife's grave and, and he puts a rock upon a rock that stands forever. And I highly doubt that he knew fully that it was going to be a marker, a landmark, so that his wife's prayer could continue to go forth. So the prayer that she prayed for her family, the prayer she prayed for her people could continue to go forth, that God would touch someone that's wandering. There are people in our lives that are wandering, walking through the darkness, grasping and trying to find the hand of God and trying to find the presence of God like they felt before. Maybe it was bitterness. Maybe something hurt them. Maybe it was a, a man of God, so to say, that might have hurt them and hurt their feelings. And they're grasping in the wilderness, trying to find their way back home. 
But in the travail, in the crying, in the praying, you can erect a pillar that that prayer continues to this day. That prayer goes forth. And at some point, they walk past your prayers. They walk past the call that God's placed in your life. At some point, they walk past every tear that you've cried, every prayer that you've prayed, and they find themselves in the house of God again. Rachel's cry, give me a child, continues to this very day. Someone that was not satisfied with her circumstances and reached out when she got to the end of her rope, reached out, God, give me a child or let me die. And her prayer goes on to this very day. I wonder what could happen in the church house if we would cry out in our desperation, give me a child. God, give me someone. I'm not okay with the church where it's at right now and it's in a good place, but God, give me a child. I want to give birth to the miraculous. I want to give birth to, my, to the person that's next to me in the schoolhouse and the person that's next to me on the job. God, help me to lead them to the house of God so they can be born again. What could the altars look like, the baptismal tank, Sunday school programs, youth programs, if every person in a church would cry out, give me a child. But it takes travail. And only in the travail. Amen. we pray for burdens. We pray, amen, for desperation to link arms with our prayers. But at the end of the day, the only thing that can change is if we build a pillar. If we erect a monument in our life and say, whenever they come by, God, I pray that you'd speak to them. When they find themselves back this way, I pray they would know that I've prayed for them, that I love them, that I care for them, and that they would see the pillar and it would lead the wandering back home. Rachel's tomb is the third holiest site in Jewish culture to this day. It's found at the edge of Bethlehem. Every year, thousands upon thousands of people Visit her tomb and pay respects. She is the mother of millions now. But it took travail. Someone who gave birth to a child and then the second child and she dies in the childbirthing experience. But they say of her that she is the mother of millions. How does something like that happen Somebody that is not willing to let their prayer just die with them. Someone that's not willing to let, amen, their prayers fall on deaf ears. But God, I'm travailing until something takes place. I'm praying until I give birth to the miraculous. I am praying until my, my world is forever changed. And Rachel changed her entire world. We could stand all over this house. Rachel gave birth to a promise. Once again, it took absolute, 100% sold-out travail. It didn't take the first little ounce of what she had. It took every ounce of what she had. But Rachel and her travail gave birth to the promise, gave birth to the one that would lead their people out of a, a, a drought season and would lead them ultimately to the promised land. And that took place. Because there was a young lady that in the most dire situation of her life held faithful to the travail and said, I will have this child as well. I will give birth to the promise. And her cry of travail continues to this day. And the miraculous is born. I know that there are some in this house that have a burden. And God has placed a burden in 
Maybe it's been last week. Maybe it's been the last couple months or years. And God's placed a burden in your heart to cry and really travail and really go to the altar experience and pray for them on their behalf. You don't know why, but God has placed them on your, on your spirit and on your mind. And you can't seem to get away from it. You close your eyes. You need to pray for that person. God is trying to birth something through you. But it takes travail. It takes sometimes an ugly experience at the altar. God, I'm, I don't care who sees me. I don't care if they think I look weird. I don't care if, if they don't appreciate how I pray. I don't care what anyone else thinks. I've just got to find a place where I can travail until the miraculous takes place. God, you've called me. God, you want to use me to do something mighty. God, you want to use me to help those that are around me. My friends that don't know this yet. My friends that have walked away and they're backslidden in their experience. God, you want to use me to pray for them and travail for them so that when they walk by a pillar they can hear and they know where the house of God is they know where the presence of God is again but it's in a travail experience and I know that God wants some in this house to have an experience like that down here at an altar that God wants you to not leave this house today until you know God you're trying to do something through me God you're trying to give birth to something through me In the Old Testament, it's often a foreshadowing. It's often, there's a lot of prophecy about what Jesus had came to do or what he was going to come and do. And I believe there are a lot of things in the Old Testament that parallel the New Testament. And Jesus comes through Bethlehem. That at some point in his early life, his parents even walked by the tomb of Rachel. And that through Jesus, we know a Savior was born in travail, in a barn, in a little manger, a cave, whatever. And in a little manger, in travail, a Savior was born. The miraculous was born. And Jesus comes and he says, I have came to gather the lost children of the house of Israel. He came. And in so few words, in paraphrase, he came to pray the same prayer that his great, 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 great grandmother Rachel prayed in the wilderness experience. God, give me a child. And Jesus comes and prays and says, I've came that I might find those that are wandering and those that are lost and that I might reconcile them back to the house of God so that they may feel my presence, so they may be baptized and they may be filled with the Holy Spirit so I can give them joy for their mourning and I can give them peace in their their terrible experiences of life so I can help their children, help their family and lead them to a path more perfect. And Jesus came to gather the lost children that were wandering. I know there are some all over this house. You've prayed before, but today I believe God wants to use you to pray A prayer that is heard for generations. A prayer that is heard generation after generation. They remember. I'm thankful I have my grandmother here today. But some of you are going to be the grandmother. Some of you are going to be the grandfather. Some of you, your great-grandchildren, are going to talk about how you heard the voice of God and you led them to an apostolic church and they heard the word of God and they were raised in truth because you built a pillar. You built a memorial. You said, my family's going to not be wandering and lost forever, but they're going to find truth. They're going to walk in the gospel. These altars are open all over this house. 
I'd like to ask you to come if you want to come and erect a pillar and you want to build up and establish a memorial. God, I'm not leaving until I build a pillar. I'm not leaving, God, until something changes. I want to give birth to the miraculous. It might not be easy. It might not be fun. But God, through the travail, I'm going to give birth to the promise. In the travail, I'm going to give birth. Come on, would you travail? God wants you to give birth. God wants you to give birth to the promise. God wants you to reconcile the house of Israel.